dear friends in Christ. What more is there to say? We started our Steadfast Savior, Steadfast Saints series on Ash Wednesday and have filled that theme out pretty well over the weeks of Lent. But this is Good Friday. We have just heard the shockingly specific prophecies of Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 and the horrifying fulfillment of those prophecies in John 18 and 19. The details are all there. The passion, the pain, the injustice, the abuse. And commenting on it all is the deep, deep theology of the hymns we have sung about Jesus, the uncomplaining Lamb of God, about God's servant, stricken, smitten, and afflicted, and about his sacred head, now wounded. It all culminates here at the cross on Calvary this Friday. But as we gather now at Golgotha, The more important question is for Jesus himself, for the one going through it all, the the subject of all that has been written, read, and sung. What more is there for him to say? We might expect, and his enemies and Pilate might have expected, that someone who had spent more than three years traveling around among the Jews preaching and teaching would have plenty to say when called before their leaders and governors. But he does not. There is no need, no purpose to speeches or sermons. Everything he had to say, he has preached and he has taught already. His life is an open book. His miracles of healing and and more were, were done in public and were well witnessed. Nothing has been done in secret, and there is no previously hidden evidence or testimony yet to bring to anyone's attention. But even more than the redundancy of speaking for himself is the futility of it. What point is there in defending himself against all the lies and slander, accusations and abuse heaped upon him in these miserable excuses for courts, where justice has been abandoned for spite and legality for expediency. He knows the men he's been brought before, and he knows that they know the truth about him. And he knows his saying it will not make any difference because they have had in mind all along how this will all turn out. Yet more importantly, he knows how it all has to turn out. He is here before the chief priests, elders, and officials of the people to be the unique and ultimate high priest who offers himself as a sacrifice for sins. Which means that even though he is the Son of God, even though he is perfectly innocent, even though he knows their evil intent, He will do nothing to stop or even slow down this travesty of a trial or their crowding him toward crucifixion. He will not even seek an easier way or or accept gall to lessen the pain of his trauma. And so he is, as Isaiah shows him, oppressed 
and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb he was led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent in front of its shearers, he did not open his mouth. So in the garden he offers no resistance to the mob or his betrayer, though it becomes clear that he has the power to stop them and walk away at any moment if he should choose to. He refuses to allow his disciples to fight for him and tells Peter to sheathe his sword. He speaks the truth when it is required, but denies none of the false charges against him, not even against Pilate. No matter the lies and libel, no matter the mockery, no matter the injustice, he allows and endures it all because it is the end and goal of his mission on earth. He is determined, resolute, firm. He knows his purpose. He tells Pilate, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world, and he will fulfill that purpose. He knows what the scriptures say about the Messiah God would send, including all the graphic details of pain and forsakenness in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, and he will see them fulfilled. He is the anointed, the chosen one of God, the Lord's servant, and he will finish what he came to do, to be a guilt offering, to take up our weaknesses, to carry our sufferings, to be stricken, smitten, and afflicted, to be pierced because of our rebellion and crushed for the guilt our sins deserved, to bring us peace with his punishment, to heal us by his wounds, and to accept the Lord's charge of all the guilt of us straying sheep who turn to our own way. Why? because it is the Lord's gracious plan, because we have a Lord of grace and mercy who does not want to see sinners dead and damned to hell, but whose justice cannot be set aside, because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, loved sinners more than he loved his life. And so our substitute submitted. He let himself be led to the slaughter and be struck and pierced and crushed and wounded. He suffered not only the torment of whips and thorns and spikes and splinters, but also the agony of abandonment. Because in those hours upon the cross, he embodied sin and all its awful offense, and that separated him from his all-holy Father in heaven. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was a real cry from a heart shattered by the severing of a loving relationship he had enjoyed from eternity. So he knew grief. He became well acquainted with suffering and he died. The blood drained away from the stripes on his back the tears in his hands and feet, the thorn holes on his scalp. His lungs strained to breathe and his heart struggled to beat. But late in the day, 
when he knew that every prophecy had been fulfilled and every task of his mission accomplished except expiring, he summoned the last of his strength and spoke. One word. Tetelestai. It is finished. One word. And he had the last word over sin, death, and Satan. The death of the sinless Son of God counted to wipe out the debt of all sins of all sinners. The price was paid in full, leaving nothing for any man, woman, or child to supply on their own. And since death itself is the price of sin, with all guilt gone, it lost its grip. And Satan, the old evil foe, found himself unmade and unmasked, with with no sins left to accuse us with, and no power left over the saved. And if there were any doubts that Jesus had succeeded with his sacrifice, those were all laid to rest. When he rose up from his tomb on the third day, seeing again the light of life, just as Isaiah foretold, no grave could hold him. And he did all this to save sinners. Too often we finish that sentence too soon, from habit, without thinking. But who is it Christ suffered and died for? It is not the well-born or the well-behaved. It was not the respectable elite or the responsible achievers. It was sinners, rebels against God. Enemies of holiness, foul offenders in all things against their Creator's will and good design for all things. And what sinners therefore deserve from the Lord is not anything like love or blessings or a second chance. Sinners deserve to pay the price for their sins, which is death and eternal punishment in hell, because with their rebellion against God's perfect will, they have said, that's where I want to go. Forget about heaven for me. That's what our choices and our sinfulness merit. And yet, as Paul tells us in Romans 5, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Undeserved love for undeserving sinners. That is grace. And that is why Good Friday finds Jesus, the Son of God, hanging and dying on a cross. We are saved by grace. And this saving is no drive-by deliverance. Jesus did not just pull us out of the fire and move on. What he gained for us is salvation that is both full and free. He did, after all, call it finished. This means not only that the punishment for sin is taken away, but also that sin itself is removed and his righteousness is given in its place. Every offense and imperfection is removed so that the saved are qualified not only to escape hell, but also to enter heaven and live eternally in God's presence. God's just servant justifies the many, declares them all not guilty. With his cross, Christ makes sinners 
into saints. Now let's be clear. We are talking about you and me. Not just other people. It might be tempting some days to say, Oh, sinners! Those nasty people who do evil things, that has nothing to do with me. Or to say on other days, Sure, Jesus died for sinners, but not for someone like me. If you only knew the kinds of things I've done, you'd understand why I have no hope of heaven. But both those ideas are entirely, absolutely, horribly wrong. Every one of us is a guilty sinner, no matter how we might compare to others. And no one of us is excluded from God's grace or Christ's sacrifice. And the only one who could save any of us is Jesus. We don't have the power to remove our own sins or to make ourselves worthy of God's favor. He had to do it for us, all of it. And he did it for free. There is no price asked of us, and there are no works to do to become worthy. The whole point of Good Friday is that Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. So please, believe it. It's for you. Put your faith in Him. Confess your sins and and take them to the cross and leave them there. And then, simply, Put your trust in Christ's once and for all sacrifice for sins, His finished work for you. Because through all His suffering and death, He was steadfast to endure and accomplish it all, to save sinners, to save me, to save you. Look to the cross and see the evidence of His love, of His mercy, of His commitment. And never turn away. Turn toward Him every day. Take hold of God's amazing and abundant grace and be saved forever from your sins. There is nothing more to say or do. It is finished. Amen.